Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Merry Christmas to you all. Okay, well, these guys have really got the Christmas spirit going on. Thanks so much. Good to see you guys. We're here in a series we're calling a fresh look at Christmas, and we're kind of pinging off of the It's a Wonderful Life. So tell me the truth. How many of you watch It's a Wonderful Life every year? It's not Christmas until you do. It's kind of, it's just love that movie. You know, it's that, that, that idea that if, if, if one life didn't exist, what would be the ripple effect of that life and the profound uh, things that come from it. So week by week throughout this series, we're just talking about that, that issue. We're asking ourselves in terms of the original Christmas, the first Christmas, what would life be like? What would the world be like? What would our lives be like if those original biblical characters uh, had not been born, if they had not come along? Last week, of course, we talked about what if Jesus had never been born, and we talked about the profound impact that that's had on the world, the fact that he has, uh, and, and more importantly, the profound impact he's having on our lives. If you missed that message, I encourage you to go back to the website, go to Archive Sermons, you can pick that up. Today, we're talking about Joseph, and we're simply asking ourselves the question, well, what if Joseph had never been born? Next week, we're going to talk about uh, a child. We're going to take a look at Christmas through a child's eyes, and I'm really excited about next week's services because our elementary age kids are going to be on stage bringing Christmas presentation, and so we're excited about that. Uh, if you've got kids in that age group, you're not sure what's going on, be sure to see your Bridge Kids team leader before you uh, leave here today. They'll give you the details because our kids will be on stage next week as we celebrate, and we take this kind of fresh look at Christmas through their eyes. If you want to follow along today, you know how to do it, right? Right? Go to the new Bridge app, the brand new one. You still got the old one, delete it. Go to the new one, and, uh, and, and if you don't know how to do that, ask a 12-year-old, and they'll be glad to help you. Uh, or go out to the app squad in the lobby. They'll be glad to help you uh, as well. But on the app, kind of scroll to the right. You'll see something called notes. Click on notes, and all of the scriptures, all of the points that I'll be making today are there and available to you so you can follow along. If you save it to your journal, then you can take your own notes and save those uh, in the future as well. If you want a manuscript to today's message, that's available to you. Just email us, info at bridgechurch.cc. We'd be glad to hook you up, okay? And if you do anything on social media, if you do a, fresh, a Facebook or a tweet, something like that, then, then do a fresh look at Christmas so we can all see. All right, you ready to get into it? We're talking about who? Were you listening? Did you hear me? We're talking about Joseph today. You didn't think I was going to do all the talking, did you? We're going to be talking about Joseph today, the man that God chose to be the surrogate father of the Christ child. Sound important to you? So what if he'd never been born? What if Joseph had never been born? Or since he was born, maybe the, important, the more important question is, why did God choose Joseph to be the guy? I mean, was there a heavenly lotto? You know, kind of ping pong balls bouncing around and Joseph's number came up and congratulations, you win. I mean, is that how it happened? Anybody kind of see that hand? Is anybody? That's not how it happened? Was there a, oh, there was a roulette wheel with a little tiny pictures on it, and you spun it in, up in heaven somewhere, and they put a ball, and it landed on Joseph, and he got it. That's it, right? No. How, 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 did jo how many of you believe that God handpicked Joseph for that task? Anybody here? I think he did, and I think there's a particular reason. So that's the question I want us to ask first, is why? I mean, why Joseph? Why did God pick him? We got a little bit of a hint. You go, if you brought your Bible, you want to follow along, or again, you can go to the app, notes, and follow along. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 a lot today. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 says it this way. Joseph, to whom uh, she, Mary, was engaged, was a righteous man 
and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. That, that phrase, he was a righteous man. We don't know a great deal about what that means, but if you look at it, if you like to read in different translations, uh, what we see is as righteous man, you'll see good man, you'll see noble man, you'll see man of pure character, of pure heart. I mean, the Greek word in the original manuscript was dikaios, and dikaios literally meant those things, a, a just person, a principled person, a person of, of character, a person of pure heart. So whatever English word you want to use for it, the Bible says that's who Joseph was. Now, that sounds good. How about you? Does that sound good? Sound like the kind of guy you'd want to be the surrogate father of the Christ child? Are you with me so far? So here's the question. How, how do we know that's who Joe was? I mean, the Bible says it. I trust that. But is there any evidence in the story to tell us that that's who Joseph was? Here's what I want us to do. I'm going to play prosecuting attorney for a while, okay? And you get to be the jury, don't you love being a jury? You get to make the decision. You get the power. So you guys are the jury. Say, I'm the jury. Look at somebody. Say, we're the jury today. Look at somebody. Come on. Just going to need to get you to wake up here and work with me. We're the jury, okay? I'm the prosecuting attorney. Joseph is on trial for being a righteous man. And we're going to find out if there's any evidence to support that, uh, that charge, okay? Let's walk through it. I've got six exhibits in my little case as I present my prosecution today, and I want you to judge. At the end of it, I'm going to ask you for a tally of how many of you believe that he should be found guilty. You ready? Six simple. We're going to walk through these real quick because I really want to get to talking about us, but I want to kind of make the case for Joseph first along these lines. Six exhibits. Number one, exhibit number one, Joseph pursued an honorable profession. We don't know a great deal about it, but we do know that in Mark chapter 6, uh, Jesus was called the son of a carpenter. And so he was known in his community as a carpenter, and Jesus was his son. And so he obviously had the respect of his peers simply because he was a hard worker. I mean, there's nothing special about being a carpenter other than it's honorable work, and the Bible puts high value on conscientious work. In fact, the first directive that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden was what? The first one, you know what the first one was? It was work. Go take care of the garden. It, it, some people think that work is a part of the curse, that work entered the scene because, because sin entered and the curse came. That is not the truth. Work was part of God's blessing in our lives. The curse made work by the sweat of your brow, by the pain of your back. But work was not part of the curse. Work was part of the blessing of the Garden of Eden. Here, here's what the New Testament says, Colossians 3.23. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord, not for people. So one of the reasons, I said we're going to rush through these, one of the reasons that Joseph uh, was considered a good man, a righteous man, a noble man, is apparently he had that character trait down. You with me so far? Do you guys like this? You with me? So exhibit one. Exhibit two, prosecution exhibit two, is it seems to me that Joseph made a lifelong commitment uh, to Mary. Matthew chapter one, verse 18, the first part of the verse, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Uh, Joseph was, was, in other words, poised and ready to enter into a covenant, lifelong relationship with this woman, to devote his attentions to her. He'd already agreed contractually to commit to her for life, to maintain this lifelong relationship with one person, 
no matter how, it's no small matter when you think about it. That's a big commitment to be committed to one person for life, would you say? Does that sound like something an honorable person would do? Yeah, men of good character considered a good thing. And let me just be honest with you, that seems obvious, but the fact of the matter is we're in a culture that struggles with that. You know what the average age of first marriage was when I was coming along? 21. You know what it is now? 29. You know what it was on my grandmother's day? 17. <laughs> Can you see this trajectory? There's lots of reasons for that, but I'm convinced that one of them is what I call commitment phobia. We're just scared to make that kind of commitment because we're bombarded with the message, are you kidding me? Committed to one person for life? As though that's impossible to do. But Joseph apparently stepped up to the plate he was a good man. You with me? Exhibit number three, again, we're just walking through these. Exhibit number three, Joseph honored God with his body. He honored God with his body. Look at the, the second part of verse 18, Matthew 1, 18. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in case that's not clear to you, let me, let me say it clearly in our kind of terms. That means that they were engaged to be married but they were waiting for marriage to consummate the marriage. You got that? Got that? They pledged themselves to sexual purity before God until the time of the marriage. Now, again, that sounds a little bit weird in the 21st century. In a world where the statistics tell us that the average age for first sexual encounter is 14 for boys and 15 for girls... Ran across a study just the other day of, an, of the Indianapolis, Indiana middle schools. You can't get any more middle America than Indianapolis, Indiana. And 55% of the middle school students had already had sex. That's the world we live in, guys. I, I just, I just got to be honest with you. Every now and then I hear those stats and I see what's going on in our society. And it, it kind of creeps into my mind Oh, come on, Jim. Maybe, maybe you're being a fuddy-duddy. You know, times change. Maybe, maybe you're being too old school. Maybe you're being too traditional. Maybe, maybe it's not such a big deal. I mean, after all, everybody's doing it these days. That's just the way things are. But can I tell you as a pastor that about the time that thought enters into my mind, another couple walks in whose lives have been wrecked because of sexual sin? And I remember again that Satan is a liar. The Satan is a deceiver. That's his job, and he does it with passion. And one of the deceptions of our time, hear me, guys, I need to be clear about this thing. One of the deceptions of our time that Satan has perpetrated on our culture with great success is that there is such a thing as casual sex. It is a lie. That there is such a thing as casual sex, relational sex, consenting adult sex, no-fault sex, non-binding sex. You've probably heard these expressions, just physical. It's just a physical act, sex. Here's one, safe sex. Those are lies. They're flat-out lies that don't correspond with human reality. They are lies that Satan has perpetrated. Hear me, guys. Sex is far more than a physical, chemical, animal act, and it has far more reaching consequences when it's not handled God's way. 
Joseph may have been out of date by 21st century standards, but I believe his commitment is evidence that he was a good man. He was a man, a righteous man, a man of noble, pure heart. Three exhibits. Ready for a fourth one? Joseph treated Mary graciously. Joseph treated Mary graciously. Even when she broke his heart, he didn't slam dunker. He didn't throw under the bus. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, second part. Joseph did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to do what? What was he going to do? Hello, are you out there? He was going to break the engagement quietly. So understand now, engagement back then was a binding contract between two families. It, it really was almost the same thing as marriage. And so to end an engagement back then, what was very similar to a divorce. The only difference between engagement back then and marriage was that they had not yet consummated the marriage and lived together as man and wife. That was the only difference. They had made the lifelong commitment already. So think about it. Uh, I mean, Joe was a guy, just like I'm a guy and just like you guys are guys. Uh, he's committed to this thing, and Mary comes to him one day and says, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm pregnant. And he knows. I mean, he knows they have not been together. He knows that he has been faithful to her, and suddenly she's standing there saying, I'm with child. Obviously, what's the first thought in his mind? Well, she's been cheating on me. She's been with somebody else. So just try to process that for a minute. Imagine how he must have felt in that moment. I mean, we tend to spiritualize biblical characters, but listen, this is a guy who got up every morning and ate breakfast and went off to work and got sore from working hard, just like you and I do. I mean, he's just, he was just a human being that God used in extraordinary kinds of ways. So just imagine how he felt in that moment when she's standing there saying, I hate to tell you, but I'm pregnant. And and he's just his, this flood of emotion that had to have come. I mean, he's gone against the cultural grain and committed to, to sexual purity. And he's trusted that she's made the same commitment, but obviously she hasn't. I mean, he's trying to fly straight and get it right, and, and, and he's gotten burned. Anybody think he's feeling betrayed about now? Anybody think that might be what's going on? I love the way the message paraphrases it, verse 19, Joseph chagrined but noble. Did we put that on the screen? You love that? Chagrined but noble. Chagrin may not be one of those words that you're used to using every other day, but you kind of know what it means, don't you? It's just inside. He is torn apart, but he's decided to maintain who he is, which is a righteous man, a good man, pure of heart and character. He's decided to remain noble. So yes, he's going to put her away. There's no way he's going to be married to a woman that's cheated on him, but he's not going to disgrace her in the process. He's got a choice to make. He can spread junk about her. He can damage her in the community. He can trash her family that should have raised her better. He can put Facebook posts out there that make her name damaged. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff he can do. But what does he do? He decides to honor his commitment to her, even though it appears in the moment that she has not honored her commitment to him. He's going to deal with this thing with as little damage as possible. So how righteous a man must he have been to make that decision in that moment? I'm just bringing you exhibits for you to consider as a jury, okay? So he had a 
strong work ethic that earned the trust of his peers, the respect of his peers. He had an, uh, a, a, a genuine willingness to make hard commitments and to honor those commitments. He was uh, maintained sexual purity, even though we all lived in a culture, and that's not new to this day. It's been around forever, a culture that says, uh, it doesn't matter what God says, here's what I feel like doing. He was gracious with his fiancée. Exhibit number five, he listened and obeyed, uh, listened to and obeyed the voice of God. Even when God's instructions flew in the face of what he was feeling and what his mind was thinking, he made the decision, I, you know, I know I can't marry a woman who cheated, but I, I'm going to do right by her. Whatever I have to do, I'm going to do it as quietly as possible to preserve her dignity as much as I possibly can. Let's pick it up. Verse 20, 21. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Understand, Joseph's already made up his mind what to do. He's already decided he's going to put her away quietly until what happens? Until he gets instructions from God otherwise. God sends an angel and gives him two specific instructions, both of which violate what he's thinking and feeling, but he's listening to God. And those instructions were, don't break the engagement, marry her, and, and be a father to this child. You, must, you understand what the angel said, you call his name Jesus. In those days, fathers determined the child's name. And so by saying that, it's a way of saying, I want you not only to marry Mary, but I want you to be a surrogate father to this baby. I want you to treat him as though you're the dad, the biological father. Good men live with one ear toward heaven, listening for the voice of God and responding when he calls. That's what they do. That's what righteous men do. They listen and they obey, whether it is in line with how they're feeling in the moment or not. Whether their fears tie into that or not. That's what righteous men do. There's a sixth exhibit before we take a vote this morning as the jury. Exhibit number six, that Joseph was perhaps a righteous man, <coughs> is he was fully engaged as a father to Jesus. But there's no question that he obeyed the voice of the Lord. He married Mary. He did the best he could. <coughs> Excuse me. Did the best he could in terms of making arrangements for the, where the baby would be born. Okay, it was a manger and a stable, but that's the best that was available, and he was doing his best. When it came time for Jesus to be dedicated, he went with Mary. They went together to the temple to do the dedication. He didn't just send Mary to go do it. He said, come on, let's do this thing. And he stood in the Father's place uh, in that moment. And when danger came, when they got a warning that, uh, that all the little boys were being killed by Herod, what did Joseph do? Anybody know what he did? He quit his job packed up his house, and moved to another country for two years. He, why? Because that's what his family needed him to do. There was no question about it. Why? I believe that's evidence that he was a righteous man, that he was, in fact, who the Bible said he was. He took full responsibility for Mary and for Jesus' well-being. And can I tell you uh, that one of the sad realities of our day is that there's an awful lot of guys who take responsibility for their family, maybe in the sense of paying the bills. But when it comes to the spiritual stuff, 
You know, that's kind of mom's job. When it comes to, you know, family devotions, well, you know, mom's better at that stuff than I am. When it comes to time to dedicate the baby or water baptism, there's this kind of, I'll I'll be over here if you need me. I'll just let mom handle that. But not Joseph, not Joseph. He was a righteous man who took his responsibilities uh, uh, very seriously. He was not a passive observer. He didn't delegate delegate the spiritual formation of this child, Jesus. They did it together. And the result was, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that we read just a couple of weeks ago, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with all the people. Jesus grew how? Intellectually, physically, spiritually, and socially or relationally. Interestingly enough, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is really the last biblical record we have of Joseph. We don't really know anything about him after this point. Many scholars believe that Joseph probably died young and that Jesus lost his earthly father while he was a teenager. And yet, even though they had a short time together, a good man left a profound mark on this miracle child. You can imagine, those of you that know my family and the circumstance we've been dealing with for the last six weeks or so, that we're praying that that's true, that our babies, grandbabies, four, six, and 13, while they've lost their earthly dad for a season, that Andrew's legacy lives on in them and that there's an indelible mark on them. I think about in my own life, I was a teenager when my dad died at 41. While my mom had a profound impact on me in my spiritual life, my dad's there. I see it. I often find myself asking, what would dad do about this? So let's go back to our original question. The Bible says he was a righteous man. Did he, did he get picked because of lotto? Because, because some roulette wheel in heaven? Or was it because God searched the earth looking for a man who fit the character descriptions that would be a surrogate father for his son. And he spotted Joseph and said, I've got a job for you to do, and you are the man for the job. So, you ready, jury? How many of you, by hand clap, would say he is guilty because of the evidence, not on emotion, But because of the evidence, you believe that he is, in fact, guilty of being a righteous man, a good man, a noble man. Can can you just give it a hand clap if you believe that's true? Okay. How many of you believe that he should be found not guilty, that there's no sufficient evidence that he was, in fact, a righteous man? Anybody? So you you don't believe that, or are you scared to clap in church and be the only one that does? I don't know. (laughs) You get the point. The point is, I think the evidence is profound that Joseph was of pure heart and character. But that's really not what I came here to talk to you about today. I mean, I could have just read the Scripture and you'd have said, okay, that's what the Bible says, I'll take it. What I'm trying to do is really set up the question, is, uh, is that still important? I mean, is God still looking for a few righteous men? Does he have some jobs for some good, noble men of character to do that are important and critical? 
Okay, can I get some amens from the men in the room? I had a lot of ladies after first service say, Pastor, that was a wonderful sermon. And I said, well, thank you. Of course you think so. <laughs> I was talking to the guys today. I'll get to you ladies in a couple of weeks, okay? So you're welcome, ladies, to listen in as long as you promise not to throw elbows, okay? Can I say a hand, a raised hand? I will not throw an elbow today. I will not throw an elbow today. Come on, ladies, no elbows. Got it? This is an elbow-free zone. But we're going to talk to the guys for a minute. And I'm going to ask you that simple question, guys. If, let's put it this way. If, if Jesus had not come a couple thousand years ago and, the, and God decided that December 2017 was going to be the first Christmas and he went searching the earth for Joseph, would, would you make the short list? How you doing? Let's just kind of walk back through those exhibits, and nobody's going to embarrass you or single you out. Just a chance for you to give some thought to that in this Christmas season. How you doing? I've been taking myself through these questions all week. I've had a couple of guys sit down with me and talk through these things with me, because I want to be sure that, that when God starts searching, He spots me. I want Him to spot you too. So let's walk back through it, okay? Question number one is, do I take my job seriously? I mean, I, and I don't mean in the sense of, of I work hard to get a promotion, I work hard to get a raise, I'm trying to climb the corporate ladder. I, I mean based on the, the passage that we read a moment ago, work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord, not for people. I mean, do you take your job seriously? Do you understand that when you go into the marketplace as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you are making a statement about your faith by the way you work? that your coworkers are looking to you to find out what kind of person you are and determine whether you are, in fact, trustworthy? Do you have the respect of your peers in the workplace? And are you building those relationships, those trusting, respected relationships, so that when the opportunity presents itself, you can share your faith in Jesus Christ with them and you have a credible voice for them to hear because they know who you are? Joseph, Joseph certainly appeared to have the respect of his peers. Do I? Do you? Second question, do I make and keep honorable commitments? Joseph made a commitment to Mary, and, uh, and even when everything in him said, forget about it, I'm out of here, uh, he stuck it out. Several years ago, there was a movement in America that some of you perhaps participated in. It was called Promise Keepers. And it went for several years and it just got bigger and bigger until they finally had a big gathering on the mall in Washington, D.C. I had a chance to be a part of that gathering and the estimates run from a million to a million three hundred thousand men gathered on the mall and the opening song of that day. I'm standing next to the Washington Monument looking out toward the stage that was seemed like a mile away and the jumbotrons that were around and we're singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I broke into tears just to hear those men's voices singing glory to God in our nation's capital on the mall. I got the same kind of cold chills this morning when the choir was singing and the men's voices kind of stood out and said, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. 
Not taking anything away from you ladies. God bless you ladies. We'll get to you in a couple of weeks. But guys, you've got to understand that there is something powerful when a man makes a commitment to be the man that God called him to be, to be a righteous man. Promise Keepers started on a Sunday morning, and you may have heard the story, I don't know, but it started on a Sunday morning when Coach McCarthy, McCartney, who was head coach, head football coach for the University of Colorado, very successful uh, football coach, is sitting in church, and a guest speaker came and said, if you want to know whether you are really successful, men, look in the face of your wife and your children. Coach McCartney looked at his wife in that moment, he says, and what he saw was fatigue, what he saw was sadness, what he saw was emptiness, and he made a decision that he was a failure as a man. And the next day, he resigned as football coach of University of California, or Colorado, and started the Promise Keepers movement because he understood something. Righteous men, noble men, good men uh, make and keep honorable commitments even when the world would say, that's crazy, that's foolish. Why would you do something like that? It's because I know there are commitments worth making no matter what they cost. Let's be honest, there's a lot of guys that are willing to make a lot of commitments when it comes to career or when it comes to sports. Uh, Pastor Andy was wearing his Christmas shirt, just happened to have a G on it. I'm not sure what that stood for. Maybe that's his God shirt. I don't know. You can ask him later what that stood for, but You know, we can make all kinds of commitments to that kind of stuff. But when it comes to marriage, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to relationship, the truth is a lot of guys struggle to make commitments. Sadly, another, a lot of other men make commitments readily, but somehow they get distracted by stuff that's less less important, and they, they don't hold up the commitments that they made. They kind of forget the days when, when a man's word was his bond. If you said it, you do it because that's who you are. When Kim and I went to the Philippines uh, in 1981, just three weeks before we left to go to the mission field, we had spent a year raising support. We left the pastorate, and we uh, began the journey of visiting churches and asking churches, just like Joe was here this morning, uh, telling you about his ministry. We did that for about 15 months, and we raised the support that we needed in order to go do what we felt like God was calling us to do. Three weeks before we left, we'd already bought our plane tickets to go. Uh, Kim said to me in the parking lot of a 7-Eleven, she said, so Jim, uh, before we go, can I ask a question? Sure. She said, uh, uh, if, if God said we don't actually have to go to the Philippines, he just wanted to know if we were willing to go, we wouldn't have to go, right? And I said, you know what, Kim, it really isn't about God's will anymore. Uh, we've told an awful lot of people we're going. We've told them we believe God's called us, and they've put their money behind us. It's not a matter of God's will. It's a matter of integrity at this point. So, yeah, we're going. And if we missed it, then I guess we're going to spend the next four years we're committed to kind of miserable. But we're going to honor the commitment that we've made. And she said, I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Hear me, guys. That's the kind of men that he calls us to be. We make commitments that are honorable. We're careful about them, but when we make them, we keep them so that when we say, I'll be there at 7 o'clock on Tuesday, we're here at 6.59 on Tuesday. 
We make a financial commitment. We honor it. If we say to a child, I will be at your game, the child knows you're going to be at the game because you said you're going to be at the game. Is this making sense? This can be hard. It can be a challenge. But I believe that's what godly men do. So how are you doing? I believe God's looking for a few good men who will take their work seriously, who will make and honor commitments. Are you that guy? Are you? Question number three, do I honor God with my sexual life? Uh, Joseph made a commitment to remain pure and, and did in a world that bombards us with the message that that's foolish, that that's outdated. We have to ask ourselves the question, am I going to honor Christ or culture in this decision in my life? And so if you're single, hear me, guys. You, you need to make a commitment before God to be a righteous man in this area. And please, I beg you, don't make it the responsibility of the girl that you're with. Well, she said yes. Okay, you asked the question. Don't put her in the position to be afraid to say no because she thinks you might bail if she doesn't say yes. And if you're married, don't just be physically faithful to your wife. Be faithful with your eyes. Hello. That means if you're in a theater and the movie crosses the line, you get up and walk out. If you're watching TV and that show crosses the line, you turn it off. You change the channel. If you're on a computer and something pops up, you change it. And if you've got to get accountability partners to help you not fall into those traps, then you get them. But that's what righteous men do. So how are you doing, guys? I mean, statistically speaking, this is a huge issue for men. It's for women, too, but we'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. It's huge. Some of the stats that I've read recently and... Uh, uh, and statistics and surveys are just stunning the percentage of men that have viewed pornography within the last 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. We have to be guarded. We have to guard our hearts, guys. And again, if we need accountability, then let's get accountability. My son, Zach, we used to, when the boys were growing up, we would go to Blockbuster. You remember those days? Go to Blockbuster and rent some movies and come home and put them in. And, and, and you know, sometimes we'd rent movies that guys like. You know, Kim's not going to watch this one because they just blow up a lot of stuff. And so, you know, we'd get one and say, okay, it's guys night at the movies. And we'd pop this movie in that, that had a lot of blowing up stuff. And, uh, and one night we did that. We got the popcorn. We got some sodas. We're sitting down. It's a guy's night. And Zach gets up and walks out just for starting the movie. And I said, what are you doing, man? And he said, I I'm going to go out for five minutes. I said, why? What do you mean? He said, well, I'm going to wait and see if you're willing to watch the whole thing. Because if I get hooked in it, and then you say, we ain't watching this, then I'm hooked in it, and I want to see it later. So I'm just going to leave the room. He was 14, but he already understood something. He already understood something. We have to guard our hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, run. Come on, read it with me. Run from sexual sin. Run away. Get away. Can't get any more clear than that. So how are you doing? If this was the first Christmas and God was looking for a Joseph for 2017, would you be on the list? And if you've got some areas to work on, you ready to make some commitments? 
Question number four, do I process emotional pain well? How do I do when I'm hurting? I mean, Joseph was shattered when Mary came to him with those news, that, that, and he thought maybe she'd been unfaithful. But even if it was, uh, and even if it occurred to him to slam dunker, he didn't. He resisted the temptation. He decided he would do it right. Good men, hear me, good men are capable of deep emotion. Men can cry. I got one amen from a guy and silence from the gals. You don't have to be a girly man to cry. Menly men can cry. Come on. Maybe that G on Pastor Andy's shirt means girly man. I don't know. Is that what that means? You just tell him I asked the question. I'm just asking. I'm just checking to see. I don't know. started crying one time and I heard somebody say, well, Pastor Jim's in touch with his feminine side and I stopped crying immediately and said, I need you to know something. I don't have a feminine side. (laughs) But manly men can cry. Simple truth is, life is hard sometimes. I thought I'd get an amen on that one. Things don't work out the way we thought they were going to. Sometimes we have the roof cave in on us. Sometimes people we trusted betray us. Life is hard sometimes. Most, if not all of you, know that Kim and I have been processing just these last six weeks or so the loss of our 40-year-old son. What you may not know is that when we moved to Goldsboro, we had a plan, and it was we bought a property that has a small cottage and a house on it because when Emily retired from the Navy, they were going to buy the house, and we were going to live in the little cottage. Plans change abruptly when you didn't plan for them to, and it hurts. Good men learn to hold on to God's hand and process their pain. They don't drown it in a bottle or blow it up their nose. They don't suppress it until it poisons their soul. They process it. They deal with it. They engage in it. I've seen so many men. Ladies, too, we'll get to you in a couple of weeks, but seen so many men. It's like they got a backpack on their back, and they have filled it with emotions because they don't know how to deal with them, and that backpack gets heavier and heavier and heavier until one day it's all they can do just to get through life, and they wonder why, as old men, they're cynical and bitter about life. Job 21 that we read just a couple of weeks ago, one man dies in full vigor, completely secure and at ease. Another man dies in bitterness of soul, never having enjoyed anything good. The only difference is what do you do with the pain when it comes? We live in a sin-cursed world. Pain is a reality. What do you do with it? When it knocks on your door, righteous men choose to be better, not bitter. They choose to look for how God's going to bring purpose and meaning out of this somehow. And I'll just be candid with you. I have been all along. I'm still in the, the rigors of, uh, of the grieving process. Just yesterday, on my way to a family funeral, I found myself screaming at God, I don't like you very much, but I love you. Don't leave me. I don't understand why you did that, but I love you. I need you. Real men are able to process those conflicts in their spirit. 
the end of the day, say, I know who God is, and while I don't get it, I don't understand it, it hurts. I'm going to do the noble thing. I'm going to do the righteous thing, because at the end of the day, I know who my Redeemer is. Number five, do I listen and obey to God's voice? How are you doing on that one, guys? Are you listening to God's voice? Or are you listening to the culture's voice? I mean, because there's a constant little pull that goes on in that thing. Joseph listened to the angel's instructions and he obeyed because that's what righteous men do, even though he didn't feel like it in the moment. Can I just pause and tell you that, that we as a church family are incredibly blessed by the leadership that we have here? The staff and the elders of this church, many of the staff are female. I'm not taking anything away from them. But, but the, the staff and the elders of this church have just the kind of people who constantly work hard to hear from God, to find out what God is saying, to come into agreement about what God is saying. And then when they come into agreement about what they sense God is saying, they make the courageous choice to do what God has said do. And it can be tough. There, can, there are always people who like what you're doing and people who don't like what you're doing. I had a pastor say to me one time not too long ago, said, Pastor Jim, I guess when you're leading a big church, you don't have the kind of problems that, that we guys who lead little churches do. <laughs> I said, yeah, right. Uh, it doesn't matter the size of your church. 10% of the people love you all the time. You can do anything, and they're still going to have your back. 10% of the people hate you all the time. There's nothing you could do to change it. 80% just want leadership. So if you've got 100 people, that's 10 people, 10 people, and 80 people. If you've got 1,000 people, then it's 100 people, 100 people, and 800 people. That's the only thing that changes. That's reality of leadership. But we are blessed with a group of men, and not just staff and elders, but we gathered 100 of our leaders together this fall and cast vision for where we're going as a church, and they all came in unanimous and even came back with visions that were bigger than the ones that I presented, and so I can hardly wait till January when I bring those visions to you. You're going to have to wait till January, so you've got to keep coming if you're new to hear what that vision is. Right now, I'm just telling you, we are incredibly blessed to have men of character and courage who listen for the voice of God and respond. And I'm just one of those leaders that's crazy enough to believe that if, 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 if a whole leadership team, whether it's a handful or a bunch, if a whole leadership team loves the same Lord and loves the same vision and mission of a church, then they're going to hear the same thing. And if they don't hear the same thing, then somebody's got the flesh in the way. They need to pray till their flesh is crucified, and then they'll come into agreement. And Jesus said where two or three agree is touching anything, it's done. And so agreement is where the church moves forward. I believe that's what's going to happen for our church as we take this legacy to an HNL in the days ahead. My point is, whatever you do, I mean, if you're saying, well, I'd love to be a part of a leadership circle like that. Well, there ain't no votes. There ain't no committees. Just come on. Start serving. Let the cream rise to the top. Move into leadership roles in one of the ministries here or small groups around here, and you'll find yourself in those leadership circles. That's a wide-open opportunity for all of you. But whether you are serving in the church or in the workplace or in your home or you're just leading yourself, God uses ordinary men to do extraordinary things when they make the righteous choice to listen to him, not the culture, and obey. 
whether we're talking about work or commitments or sex life or processing emotion in a healthy way or listening and obeying God, or number six, how do I devote myself to my family? At what level am I a family man? You've got to ask those questions. Joseph put it on the line more than once. He was fully engaged in the development of his family, in the care of his family, and God used him profoundly as a result of all of that. I mentioned a moment ago, my mom had a huge impact. My grandmother had a huge impact on my life in terms of my spiritual life. I have two plaques on the wall in my office. One of them was awarded to my grandmother in 1996, just before she passed, when they named her the mother of the church, the home church we grew up in. And the other is from my mom when they awarded her 50 years of teaching Sunday school in her home church. That's my heritage. So I honor the heritage of the moms among us. But hear me, guys, my dad died young. He didn't come to the Lord to the last year of his life. I had the privilege of praying with him to receive Christ. But he made an indelible mark on my life. So many times I find myself saying, how would dad handle this one? So dads, engage this Christmas. Find a time to read Matthew 1 to your family. Don't delegate that job to mom. When you tuck them in at night, tell them that story and tell them how important it is to you to be that kind of man and role model it for them. Download the Parent Q. Uh, app that we told you about last week. And go to the website and you can get it uh, because it gives an advent calendar and activities for the family. You take the lead on that one, Dad. Don't wait for Mom to do that. I got a close, but 2,000 years ago, God went looking for a man that he would use for a profoundly important job, and he found one. His name was Joseph. He tapped him, and Joseph said, Yes, today, There are so many jobs that need to be done. He's looking for a few good men. How you doing? If you had a jury of your peers, would you be found guilty of being a good man? Whether you can say yes to this point or not, I sincerely pray that you're making commitments today that they'll be able to say yes in the days ahead. Can we pray for that now? Can we do that? Father, thank you for the families that are here, the ladies that are here, the children that are represented here. But right now, thank you for the men. I know in so many churches, even across this land, there are so many more women than men and so many more women who serve because the men won't step up and I look across our church and I look at our church's database and I see pretty close to 50-50 men and women and I see men serving across this house and I believe they're serving in their families thank you for the men of this house But in the light of all of that, Lord, and the responsibilities that are there, I pray that you would speak to us. Speak into our hearts and help us to evaluate just in the quietness of this moment. How am I doing? How am I doing? If you were 
creating a short, short list right now, would I make your list? Would it be said of me, Jim, Mike, Mark, George, Bob, Bill, Carl, was a righteous man, and God used him mightily. If that's what you want, guys, would you pray a simple prayer with me? Just very quietly and pray silently if you like. God, I want to be a good man. I want to be a righteous man. Not, I can't do that on my own, but in your power, in your grace, that's who I want to be. So would you help me now to make the same kind of commitments that Joseph did? To live honorably in the workplace? To evaluate my commitments and then make good ones and keep them? To be gracious with my wife? To keep my sex life both in thought and action pure? To listen to you and obey when you call without making excuse? And would you help me to focus on my vital role as father and leader in my home? Father, you know the guys that are praying right now. You know exactly what steps we need to take in order to be those kinds of men. But I believe with everything in me, just like the Scripture said centuries ago, the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro across this whole earth, looking for men whose hearts are completely devoted to you so that you can show yourself powerful through us. Use us for the building of your kingdom and for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? God bless you guys. Thanks so much for being here today. We'll continue this series in the days ahead. If you're a first-time guest, please stop by the VIP table. We've got a gift we'd love to put in your hands. The altars are open. Some of you need to pray before you leave here. God bless you as you do that. Father, take us from this place. Use us for your glory and bless our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.